Let's go! Welcome into the pod. It's Kato Sports. Tuesday, March 28. Huge show today. Regular scheduling. I've just I've I've decided on Tuesdays is the day that I want to put the podcast out there, the day that I want to record because I think especially in sports, you can be really reactionary. You can get caught up in things really easily. I think multiple times over the weekend, I heard people go, he's the best player in football, or they're the best team in the comp, or they're going to win the flag. And I go, well, just, just calm down a little bit. It's never as good or as bad as it seems. And the huge calls after round two, it's kind of what's fun about football. Like, I spent Saturday Arvo watching Tigers and and Richmond at the pub and people are just saying the most outrageous things for three hours while the game's going on. And you love it, you know. Everyone's getting around it. Uh, But I I like to record on a Tuesday to let things settle so that you can kind of reflect on things and go, okay, well, this happened. and, and, and and, And reason to why things are happening, you know, makes a bit more sense. And as you gather more data as more rounds go on, it's a bit easier to to make predictions on things. I, I look at some of the performances on the weekend and go, wow, that team is incredible. But let's see them in a different environment. Let's see them in a hostile environment. Let's see them playing, you know, away against a tougher team. And we'll see how the result kind of pans out from there. Because when I look at this weekend... There was some awesome, awesome football play. Collingwood obliterated Port. But all the guys that were talking up Collingwood were the same guys talking up Port the week before who obliterated the Lions. And those same guys that were talking up Port were the same guys that were talking up Melbourne who obliterated the Dogs. But then Melbourne goes up to Brizzy into a tough environment into a game where the Lions know how to play the conditions, the ground, and have the crowd on their side, and they whack them. So you do need to be careful because the Pies are playing really good footy at the moment. But I I want to see the Pies go and play Brisbane in Brisbane in round four. You know, I want to see the Pies go and play Sydney in Sydney in round 11 because you can be flying... You can be playing great footy at the G, and obviously you want to be playing great footy at the G because we know where the grand final is every year. But to, to just run out and say, pies, grand final, lock it in, like a lot of people have been. It's just, I think it's a little early for that. Let's, let's, let's bring it back. But my Monday love is a Collingwood player because he just absolutely deserves the chocolates for, for how he has played year after year. And this is building data. And that's, and that's Scott Pendlebury. The Age, I think it was The Age, did an article on how he finished in his best and fairest at Collingwood since he got here. Outside of his first year and two years where he's been injured, and in those two years he finished sixth, outside of that he hasn't not had a top three finish. He's had multiple... T- fir- finishing first, multiple two, multiple three. He is just the most consistent player. 
And when you watch how Collingwood played on the weekend, they were tearing Port Adelaide apart. But it started at the contest. And Dacos, the Dacos brothers and Sidey, they looked unbelievable. They, they really did. And they could just run. They ran Port into the ground. But they were able to do it because side bottom, uh, sorry, Pendlebury is just the most electric player with his hands. The ability for him to extract the ball and then not just handball it to the guy next to him, but to go, I know that the team is set up so that Sidey's going to be two metres out on my left. And I know that when Sidey gets the ball, Dacos is going to be running past him. So my aim is to get this ball and bang, get it way out of the contest. And then the six or seven guys that are around the ball right now are all caught flat-footed because Sidebottom's got the ball and Nick Dacos is running by and bang the balls in the Collingwood forward line. And it's happening at pace. And so many times in, this, in the game, the ball was there to be won and it was Pendles that has it. And he just uses these unbelievable skills on both sides of his body by hand and, and by foot to get the ball into the space that Collingwood need to move it forward. And it just happens so many times. And it just uh, he just does it every single game. And it is... He's almost worth in his in his late career someone going to him and tackling the way that Collingwood tackles. So one of the other things that I watched about this Collingwood team was they have really perfected picking the hand the the, the dominant hand of the person who's got the ball and tackling and grabbing that one hand, pinning it to the body, and then bringing them to the ground. Now we watched how it got done incorrectly in that game when Ryan Burton pinned the hand, laid the tackle, and, and and brought the head to the ground, causing the concussion. But Collingwood don't really do that. They just pin the hand, they bring the arm, and they, they, they hold the man. Beautiful tackling technique that then allows them to get the ball easily off their opponent because the ball just falls out of their hand, or they get holding the ball decisions go their way. And I think that you know, just little skill things that Collingwood have set up in their game plan, which is we want to be the best at tackling. We want to be the best at extracting the ball from the midfield. We want to be the best at providing the midfield with with a runner so that we can get the ball into our forward line and we can do what we've been doing well for the last three years, which is put pressure on the ball as as it goes into the forward line, tackle hard, go and win it in inside 50, you know, get some more dynamic forwards, which they've done with guys like McCreary and Ginevan and Bobby Hill and say, guys, go and have a field day down there. The ball's going to be going in hot. You just go in there and try, try and kick a goal, do something magical, you know, give the game a bit of flair and, and, and credit to McRae because he's just empowered the players to do it and credit to Pendles because he empowers the rest of his team to, to do their job because he does his. So he's my Monday love. I just think that Scott Pendlebury is just one of the most fantastic players and Collingwood really do look like a serious team. But let's just watch them play Brisbane in a couple of weeks' time up there. I think that's going to be... A real game for everyone to watch. I I do have a couple other loves. I love how chaotic our game is. I really do. I love how 360 
unbelievably complex rules. It is just a different game. Every time you go out, there is a different vibe to every game. The conditions really change the way the game's played. The way, if it's played at home or if it's played away or who's on, who's not on, it really, it, it is such a chaotic game. And watching the Melbourne-Brisbane game on on Friday night was one of the funnier games of football I've ever watched. Just a team dominating Absolutely dominating. And then one of the more bizarre things in, in, in AFL history goes down. The light pole cat the light tower catches on fire. The ground goes black. Everyone's thinking the game's not gonna go down. The number one guy in the scene is Alistair Lynch, who is literally getting the, the updated information as it's coming in. Uh, it, it was just bizarre. And for then the game to go back on and Melbourne go, oh, we've got nothing to lose and kick five or six goals in, in, in six minutes of footy. And now it's, oh my God, what is going on? There was a, a, a mark, well, a front on contact that probably should have been paid to Brayshaw against McKenna that would have brought it to one goal apiece with a minute and, and 20 to go if Brayshaw had kicked the goal. So it just was cr- crazy to watch the juxtaposition between a team getting absolutely hammered and then a crazy scenario occurs at the ground and then bang, it's uh, it's game on again. And then going over and watching North Melbourne, who have just been incredible, and everyone's talking up Luke, Luke Davies' Uniac, and they should. He is just playing amazing footy. Nick Larkey must just be praying to Macedonian Jesus for all those Survivor fans at how happy he is that finally he can get a little bit of ball use going forward. He can finally get hit out on a lead because... He's been there a while now. He's he's 25 and he's been waiting. Four or five years he's been waiting. He he's tried hard. He's looked good. He's had games where he's, you know, kicked five, six goals and you go, geez, Larky's Larky could be a player. And now he's got the now he's got the service. Now he's got LDU and Sheasel and Simpkin and he'll get Wardlaw. And he's got Cunnington back in the team and playing, so. I mean, he must just be so happy right now. In that game, I mean, AFL, AFL House, AFL Operations, they said that, that it was the right decision. The ball did go out of bounds uh, before the siren. Another quirky thing about AFL is the fact that if you kick a goal, or if you have a kick for goal and the siren goes and the ball trickles over the line, it's a score. But for some reason, that doesn't apply in reverse when you kick the ball out of bounds and it's a deliberate kick out of bounds. The siren goes and then the ball goes out of bounds. It's not a free kick to the other team like it would be a score. So there's weird things in the rules like that. I don't know if something like that will change, but you know these bizarre situations happen. Credit to North Melbourne. They went away. They played a really tough team in a really tough environment. And they just kept hammering away. They got out to a good start and they were able to just hold it all game and they never let uh, North kick three goals in a row. Uh, sorry, never let Freo kick three, go- three goals in a row. It was two was the max, then North got one. Two, then North got one. So they never let that run on. And that's a feature of Clarkson's coaching career has always been we are going to defend like we can never defend. And if the other team kicks two goals, we lock down. 
We lock down. They don't get anything easy until we wrestle back the momentum and score ourselves. And you can just you just see it in North Mount now. There's so much belief in the team. They've been, they've got their players really humming. All of their they never really had bad players. They might have just had a bad system. They might have just not been put in the positions to succeed. And you look at a guy like Clarkson, he's, he's the ultimate learner. He's the ultimate competitor. He spent all of the last two years traveling in, in the US, with going through teams, going through ways to prepare for games, going through ways to set up, going through the psychology of being a player. He's just, a, he's just an absolute master. So North Melbourne, two games in, on the fly, let's go. I think St Kilda are, are genuinely playing some really good football as well. We can't we can't say they're not. It's sad that that they're going to lose Steele, who had twenty nine and a goal and and was very very good Saturday night. They're going to lose him uh, with his collarbone, so it'll be interesting to see how they come back. And again, we'd like to see St Kilda play against some tougher teams. Now, I I I think that is that is the marker of a of a team ascending is can you go away and beat a really good side when everyone knows you're really good. So I know they beat Freo round one, um, but let they'll have a couple of other away games. I'll have to check the schedule to find out who they've got, but it'll be really interesting to see St Kilda up against a team like a, you know, maybe a Geelong or, or a Carlton, something like that, uh, a, a Richmond, and, and see if they can uh, knock off a team that's, you know, playing some good football at the moment. I we can go into some of the the bad performances. I mean for example, we we'll look at Hawthorne. It was an absolute training drill out there. I watched the the Richmond uh, Adelaide game really closely and despite Adelaide coming back in the third quarter for for most of the game when Richmond get the ball inside 50 they set up a, a shell around their, around their 50 and rebound 50s don't come out and just go for scores. They are very well set up. They have, Richmond are just, they know where they need to put Vlosten and Grimes and Rioli. And, and, and we're watching guys like Rioli just, do, that he's been awesome the first two games because they're really well set up behind the ball. They're coached really well to make sure that the other team doesn't score Easily, and also the other team has a lot of pressure put on them. Now, I think th- through the first couple of weeks, Richmond probably have just struggled actually scoring. Like maybe they've wasted a few chances going inside fifty, but defensively they set up really well, especially when the ball's inside their fifty. And you watch a team like Hawthorne, and they should just be watching Richmond tape all week because, I mean, it's the ball just—it's just a training drill. How easy the ball gets out, and that. To me, it's obviously there's a lack of leadership out on the field, uh, but it's probably just they need to really look at you know how do we how do we make sure that it is in our fifty and not getting out because the best teams are doing that to 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 you. The best teams are making sure that you are not getting the ball out easy because it is just so hard to score in in twenty twenty three. Don't let teams out of their D50 just waltzing out. It's just, it's embarrassing. The dogs, it was embarrassing how easy the ball got out of their, 
out of their uh, their forward line because maybe it's because their mix is wrong. Maybe this tall forward line thing that the dogs have gone with is is not the way to go about it because you want repeat stoppages. You want repeat efforts. You want tackles. You want the ball on the ground. You want some smaller players coming through and kind of lighting it up and, and giving you a bit of a spark. And it's a bit harder to do that when you've got Darcy and and uh, uh, Ugal Hagen and Norton and you've got all these big tall guys and you've got to, you know, balance Tim English going there and now they've moved Bruce into the back line. It's, it just feels like maybe they're not getting enough forward pressure and that's really affecting how they're playing. So, yeah, I think the dogs have got a lot to think about. The fact that Beveridge has got a new contract keeps him safe for, for now and that there's a little bit of stability there. I think if he didn't have a new contract, he would be people would be talking. He'd be on the block. Um, yeah, he'd be big time on the block. I, I did want to talk about some of my favorite performances of the weekend, not just team, but player as well. I think, again, another reason I love the Tuesday pod is I get to look back over the weekend and go, okay, not just what happened on Sunday night that I liked, because there was lots of things I liked on Sunday night, but there were things I liked on, on Thursday night as well. Carlton have really come to play. They, if, they, if you'd said to them out of the first two games they had six premiership points, they'd be absolutely stoked. And I think their forward line, Kerno, is just so electric when you get him the ball. And I loved his performance. I love how... Again, and you look at the teams like the Dogs and Hawthorne, it feels like no one wants to kick a goal. And then you look at the game on, on Friday night and Kerno in the first half was just like, kick me the ball, I will score. I will make something happen. Kick me the damn ball. Second half of that game rolls around and Jeremy Cameron goes, nah, this is too much. Kick me the ball and I am going to Score! I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure we are in this game and that the Cats have a shot to win. And and you've just got these two bulls who are just like they just demand they demand the ball. They demand a player to play them way tighter than than probably a lot of teams want to. A lot of teams want to play a team defense. They want to you know, defend the ground. They want to be able to move off players and, and, and help out their other defenders and stuff like that. But you can't do that with guys like Kerno and, and Cameron because they're too good on the lead. They're too good in one-on-one situ- situations inside 50. If they want to move up the ground to burn you off a little bit and then get you out the back, they will. They kick easy goals as well. Like I know Cameron kicked a lot from outside 50 and it was an, a, a kicking clink. But Cameron's as happy to move up and hit up at you and beat you outside 50 as he has to be- run you back towards goal and beat you over the top. Same with Kerner. He- he'll-, he'll take you out if he wants to, and then he'll shoot you back to goal. He's happy for Mackay to go up for the mark, and then he'll just scoop down. He'll be- play smart, and he'll, he'll hit the crumb and-, and-, and kick a goal from-, from the goal square. And I just think, oh, how, how lucky and how privileged th- those teams are to have forwards that just are... Super athletes, super kicks of the footy. Kerno kicked one from 50 where he just turned on a dime and, and kicked it from 55 on a very tight angle and just went, how 
That is just insane football. And, and awesome to watch. Oh, I personally probably think that Cameron is like the best player in the competition at the moment. He's probably my favourite player to watch. Um, he just can cut you up so many different ways. So I really enjoyed that Thursday night game of footy. And I really enjoyed how just those two forwards put on a show. In the, in the Friday night game, I mean, much maligned, said some things last year that were just pretty disgusting to Harry Hosen Petty, but Dane Zorko is a game changer. He's, he's just a different type of player. He's, this, he's a midfielder. Look, he's, he's a midfielder and a forward at the same time, and he's probably as good at both. And he just gives you so many opportunities because he breaks away from contests because he gets free around, around 50 and then is, is dangerous around goals. He, he really does change the Brisbane dynamic and they really missed him week one. So for him to be injected back into the team, he, he really is a, a tough player for teams to, to kind of match up on because he's got breakaway speed. He's a really good ball user. He's tough at the contest and he's got eyes on the goals. So for, for Brisbane to be able to add him into their to their mix really changes the way they look. And, and, and in a midfield that got smashed by Port the week before, he just gives them a little something else. So I really like Dane Zorko's game on the weekend. Um, I spoke about how I, I like Dan Rioli. I think he's really coming into his own, and I think he'd have quite a lot of coaches' votes through two rounds. He's just a great ball user. Richmond set up really well behind the ball, and, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to like from uh, from Rioli this season. Ah, God, I mean, Sydney have had two training drills to start the season, so there's not much to report from them, but we know who their good players are. Essendon, I mean, I, I, in, in the Essendon game, the fact that Kyle Langford was made to look like, I think someone in the commentary said he looks like Wayne Carey right now, and it, it it's probably says more about the Suns and says more about, I don't know. I mean, how can Charlie Ballard, who's now a four or five year player, in the back line and a fullback just get torched by Kyle Langford. I think that's, you know, he was on, Ballard was off. I thought that the, the, the Gold Coast midfield actually put a lot of pressure on and, 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 and we're okay, but they're not great in front of the ball. Their defensive structure isn't great. Their back line loses a lot of one-on-ones. I mean, Ballard's just got to play better than that. You can't, you can't have... Uh, Kyle Langford looking like Wayne Carey. Same in the Hawthorne game. Joel Amati looked like Joel Amati looked like Adam Goods. He was just everywhere, and 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 the Hawthorne backs just didn't have a they didn't have an answer for him. I mean, Sam Frost is the worst player in the league, and yeah, I know I'm a Hawthorne fan, but Sam Frost, Frost is the worst player in the league, and he got torched by by Joel Amati. He's not even in the in the regular. He's not regular scheduling for the Swans. <laughs> it's just, it was embarrassing. And I, uh, I'm gonna you know, I don't pat myself on the back too much, but I think I said at the start of the season in one of the earlier podcasts that I really liked Jermaine Jones. I think he was going to come into his own in the first week. He had 14 touches, kicked two goals. In the second week, he had 27 touches, and he really looked like a serious player. And I was. Uh, 
I, I just think that if you looked at the back half of last year, West Coast said, said to him, you know, you're actually explosive. You're actually a really good ball user. And we've got you kind of floating around half back or, or floating around half forward in positions where you're not touching the ball enough. We're going to get you... We're going to get you in the midfield a bit more. We're going to get you the ball. We're going to see if you can break away from a few contests. We're going to see if you can run hard on the wings and, and through the center and, and, and break the game open for us. And he did. And he, and he made West Coast look good. And props to West Coast. They, you know, they had a tough round one matchup. I think North round one really came to play. And, 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 and West Coast played well as well. They didn't win. They, they played well. And they went over to... They went back home with their home crown, and they got a win, which is absolutely what you got to do if you're a good team. Win at home. Win the games when the crowd's on your side, when you've got a bit of momentum, when you've had the nice sleep because you, you're at home. Win those games, and they did. So credit to West Coast. Tim Kelly was explosive in the first quarter, and Tim Kelly's a bit of a barometer for that West Coast team. I think when he's off, the whole team doesn't look that great. But when he's, when he's on... And he's lifting and he's bursting and he's, you know, getting eight, nine, ten touches in the first quarter, the second quarter. The team can really come with him and, and, and go with him because they do have a bit of a weirdly aging list with their stars, guys like Gaff and Darling and Hearn and Shuey. So, so, you know, for someone like Tim Kelly, they, they paid up for big time. They gave Geelong, uh, I think, a couple of first round picks, something like that. He's really got to, you know, be the guy for them. So it was good to see him really come in and, 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 and have a really good game and start the West Coast season for, for, uh, for their team. Great weekend of footy. Lots to talk about. I hope you guys like the podcast. I will be back next week on Tuesday to reflect, to revise, and to talk about the good things and the bad that, that happened over the weekend. So... Have a good week, guys. Uh, That's Kato Sports out.